Hello, and welcome to the CBC Unplugged podcast from GCV. I'm Fernando Moncada. The story of the past year or so has been artificial intelligence. It's been everywhere, and you really can't get away from it. And in particular, generative artificial intelligence, or Gen AI. Doesn't matter what sector you're in or what countries you're looking at, everyone's trying to apply Gen AI to their business, and consequently, investors are seeing an absolute goldmine. Whether we're talking about popular large language models like ChatGPT, the launch of which was what really kicked off this you know, recent big hype around AI, or other programs designed to generate images or videos or audio, everyone wants a piece of the pie. And we now have enough data to look back over the past year and see where corporate investors have fallen into that mix. Today, I speak to my colleagues, GCV editor Maya Palmer and GCV's head of analytics and general data guru, Kellyanne Andonov, who have recently co-authored a piece looking at the past year of Gen AI investments. And what we're seeing is, among many other things, that half of all VC dollars invested in the space have come from rounds featuring one or more corporate players. It's not just the numbers themselves that stand out, but also their context. We're seeing significant changes in the competitive dynamics in the tech sector, at least insofar as the public markets can indicate. Two of the longest standing rivalries in tech have been completely upended. Chipmaker NVIDIA, which has historically played second fiddle to Intel, has seen a massive surge in stock price in recent years, overtaking its chief competitor in terms of market cap, while Microsoft has also overtaken Apple. In both cases, the previous leaders fall to second place as massive bets are made on AI. It's a time of great change in tech and the tectonic plates are set to keep moving. Just a quick disclaimer before we start on the potential background noise in this episode, there was some loud machinery not too far from where I was recording. So in case you do hear some slight noise in the background, know that all is well and we are not quite living in Mad Max era. Be sure to like, share and subscribe to CVC Unplugged and above all, enjoy the show. So here we are with Maya and Kellyanne. Thanks both for, for joining me. How's it going? Thanks for having us, Fernando. Hey, Fernando. Thanks for having us. So, so you, you guys just wrote this piece on, on, on kind of CVC activity in the, in the Gen AI space and, and how it's been obviously growing in recent years. We, we've all, you know, it's been the story of the past year, really, or year and a half since when it, whenever ChatGPT kind of was launched. It, it's been on everyone's kind of minds and on, and on the tip of everyone's tongues. And now we, we have, you know, enough time has gone by that, that we have some, some good data showing where, where the corporate investors are kind of falling on this, right? And I, I suppose maybe the, 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 the top line data point in, in the story that the two of you wrote was that most of the dollars invested uh, across the VC space in Gen AI have come from rounds that have some kind of corporate backing, right? So, so I, I suppose my first question is, has that level of corporate involvement always been the case? And by always, I mean, since Gen AI has been a thing, really. Or, or has it really kind of accelerated in recent years with the rise of, of, of bigger money rounds? I'll, I'll take this question, if I may. So, so yeah, I mean, it, it depends on uh, basically how you define generative AI. And if you only consider it uh, since chat GPT, which was really the beginning of last year, then yes, the answer is it always has been that way. But even if you take like, generative AI investments that corporates and 
traditional VC firms have done over the years, like over the past, say, four or five years. Yes, we do observe that in about 50%, 50% of the total dollars, almost consistently across the years, uh, there have been some sort of corporate backers involved. And if we look at it in, in terms of deal count, then it's about 20 to 22%. So that does sort of imply that corporates are, are getting looked into uh, some of the more richly valued deals, if that makes sense. Yeah. And, and is that, cause I, I think that, that that's an interesting data point as well. So, so they, corporates took part in around a quarter of the deals. But those deals represented half the total kind of investment volume. So is is that is that a kind of of of, of a way to mitigate risk, perhaps, in, in an area that's kind of still nascent? Is that how you would say that corporates are looking at it? You could look at it that way. It could be a way to mitigate risk, considering there is quite a bit of corporate co-investment in some of the some of the biggest deals we we've seen over the past. Uh, year or so like for instance hugging face anthropic and, and so on so so you could say that you know some of the big corporates tend to cluster within the same sort of big deals that happen to take place and that is in a way a way of mitigating risk but it could also be uh, construed as a way of looking for for big opportunities yeah, I think that it's it's interesting that, you know, so they're not numerically in as many deals, but they are more likely to be in the in the large size rounds. So it's kind of they're willing to kind of go in big, I guess, is what 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 we're seeing. So, I mean, the the absolute poster child of this is 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 Microsoft backing open AI to sort of a commitment of, you know, up to ten billion dollars. Right. Which is not something they're going to spend all at once and, and et cetera. But I mean, it just shows the kind of really big bets that corporates are willing to take if they think this is, a, is an opportunity. And I think there's a lot of, amongst the really big big tech companies, you know, there's a sense of not wanting to, to miss out, right? A lot of FOMO going on. So that's when the check sizes typically start getting, you know, bigger. Now, we don't absolutely know what they're spending because when we say that 54% of corporates, some corporate money is involved in about 54% of the deals, we don't know kind of exactly how much the corporates are contributing to those rounds because that information is always not not always um, available. But you know that they're they're probably spending proportionately something in, in in there. So that's you have to put some caveat on those figures. But you know what we can say absolutely sure is they're 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 sort of they do tend to cluster into those really big rounds. And it's interesting you mentioned kind of FOMO as well and and the fear of missing out of a of a kind of of, of a big ticket opportunity because you know that, that that's a feature that we also saw not too long ago in the in the massive investment flurry into into kind of crypto and web3 and, and that's kind of quieted down a bit now obviously there there there's not much reason to to think that gen ai is going to go that way i mean even even saying that i, I think you know crypto is doing a bit of a comeback now as, as we're speaking but what, what what kind of parallels do we see between this I suppose feeding frenzy almost, and the one that we saw for Web three, which was more intense and, and and kind of more distributed, right? Because they didn't, they certainly didn't limit themselves to just the big ticket ones. But are, are we seeing any parallels there at all? It's a it's a classic Gartner hype cycle. I mean, we're, you know, and and we're coming. I don't know if we're close to the peak of the hype yet, but I mean, certainly we must be somewhere. 
near that. I mean, it, you know, this is, but this happens, this happens over and over again, right? We've seen it, we saw it with the dot-com bubble. We saw it when, when in sort of the, the 90s telecoms boom, you know, we saw it with Web3, we're seeing it now with Gen AI. That doesn't mean that all the dollars spent on this are going to be wasted, just quite a lot of them. Yeah, and and actually, would would you say that back back to the risk mitigation angle? Do 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 you think that perhaps what what we saw in terms of in terms of you know suboptimal bets made in the Web three space have kind of colored the way people invest here? Well, I mean, the thing is, we're seeing kind of Web three. You know, people talked about you know crypto winter starting to be over. I, I think that there's always been still just because the technology disappears from the headlines and you, you're not seeing so many kind of really big big deals happening doesn't mean that there isn't stuff kind of going on in the background. I mean, it was the same with when we had the dot com boom, and I observed that. You know, I was a I was a kind of new journalist at the time covering that, and you know, a lot of the sort of very consumer facing things, you know, had big busts like pets dot com or or, 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 you know, whatever you had. But I mean, development on sort of the fundamentals of the kind of e-commerce didn't sort of stop. It just kind of went out of the headlines. And it probably, you know, received less funding in some of those more fallow years. But, it, you know, but it, 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 and it kind of continues. And then so when it comes out of the, you, you start to come to the other side of the Gartner hype cycle, right, then, you know, people have been, people who are dedicated to it, who are that influenced by whether it's a kind of the faddish thing or not, then come out sort of having done a fair amount of good work during the time that it's an obscurity. So, I mean, it, you know, I, I think we're now seeing sort of a lot of people, a lot, we saw a lot of the banks, you know, they didn't really stop investing in Web3. They've still been quietly doing some deals. And, and, and when, so when kind of a new set of blockchain, crypto, Web3, you know, NFT type applications come out, you know, some of these people who've been investing consistently will then kind of reemerge. And, and I think it will be the same coming back to the AI thing that, you know, we'll see, we've, we see this big hype with some of these really big deals. Some of those will not work out. And, you know, journalists like myself will have a lot of fun, you know, writing about the big failures. But underneath that, you know, not all of it will go away. It's these, these bubbles always kind of create, they're almost like the fertilizer that, you know, the, the birth and the boom and then the death of some of these big things become the fertilizer that then kind of creates the the real technological advances that then then go on. And and you mentioned, you know, perhaps the 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 biggest or at least the most visible bet that was made by 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 one corporate by Microsoft and into OpenAI, which, which I mean, I suppose you could argue is the one that really kicked off the 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 true hype cycle, wasn't it? OpenAI with 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 with, with ChatGPT and you know, Microsoft has been far from a passive observer here, right? When, when the whole, you know, Sam Altman, let's say altercation happened with, with the board of OpenAI, Microsoft was, was very much involved and in, in perhaps, you know, bringing the whole team on board and, and eventually as was getting Sam Altman reinstated. And now they're, 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 they're seeing the benefits perhaps from that, right? They, their, their market cap just overtook Apple, which, you know, anyone who's been paying attention to, to the kind of Apple Microsoft wars over the years has, you know, we would recognize this as a, as a massive coup, right? So much is made about Apple having the liquidity of a small nation and, and, and all of this. And now Microsoft has kind of just barreled from not the back of the pack, but, you know, certainly behind Apple to now be leading. What, what, what does that kind of tell us about Gen AI as a competitive tool? I, I think what we're seeing is, is, is a, you know, we go through these technological inflection points whenever when when the rules of who's the leader of the pack kind of get 
get get rewritten. And 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 Microsoft, I think you've got to take your hat off to them because they have survived so many of these reversals and come back each time. So that's what I, you know, it it Microsoft. It's an unflattering comparison, but I do mean it in the in the kindest sense. It's kind of like a cockroach; like it it just it will always survive and keep coming back. Now, really, apologies to Microsoft. I don't think they're cockroach-like, but I mean, it's just that ability to the ultimate survivor is what I'm trying to say. So when they've, they've had their ups and downs and they, they had some really bad bets in terms of technology, I mean, them making mobile phones, buying Nokia, not great deals, right? But, you know, but they just keep trying. And and now they've, with the with, with kind of investing in open AI, they seem to have kind of be in a really leading position in terms of a technology that everybody thinks will have a huge impact in kind of the way that we access and use technology in the future. So, so fantastic kudos, you know, I mean, you know, if at first you don't succeed, try, try again. And, and, and if you are willing to kind of make big, bold investment bets, despite the fact that you might have failed in some cases in the past, you know, that's what kind of gets you back on top. So, so I, I think that's a, a great kind of case study, I think, to people, for people really to look at. But there's other ones. I mean, Cal can probably speak to, I mean, I think the NVIDIA story is also really phenomenal, which is, is again, an example of how when a new technology comes on board, different people, different companies kind of rise to the forefront and the rules get completely rewritten. Yeah, NVIDIA, the NVIDIA story has been, uh, has been very much on the news, uh, especially with, you know, in terms of its stock price and its market cap. It's uh, it, it's it's been it's been going up and up not not only uh, since the beginning of this year but probably very much since the beginning of last year even in the midst of a relatively speaking bear market which was amazing and it announced its quarterly earnings about a week ago and <laughs> the stock price went ballistic again so if anything. I guess this this sort of shows us that public markets are just as prone to a hype as as, as private ones might be in terms of valuation. Now, whether this valuation is fundamentally justified or not, only time can tell, and it might very well turn out to be. It's just that the multiples seem seem a little high at the moment. That's uh, something like over forty times forward earnings. Yeah, which is a crazy number. And and it's made. I think it's interesting. Nvidia's made you know roughly you know fifty percent more Gen.AI investments over the past year relative to its chief rival, Intel. Yeah, it it has been it has been quite active on the venturing scene. To be fair, uh, to be fair, also other other big tech players like like Microsoft and and Google have been as well, just as much. But yeah, Nvidia has been quite active, and you, you could clearly see the strategic sort of interest of it being that active uh, because well they're, they're producing the tech that would enable ai right so they're more than interested to invest in it and to sort of foment all that uh growth and all that hype in, in into ai and uh i would say i would say yeah nvidia has been active in an awful lot of deals over the past uh, nearly twelve months, and in, in the piece, Maya and I sort of enumerated some of the some of the biggest ones. So there's a long, long list. Yeah, it, it, it's what's really striking is they've really come in a, in a, a very short space of time. So they are doing a couple of deals a month, really. You know, 
And 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 what's interesting is is also to look at what they're investing in, right? So it's I mean, sure, all, all sorts of, of of generative AI related things, but you know, the thing that jumped out at me was just the number of kind of AI healthcare startups that they're investing in. So there's a real kind of amount of diversification, I think, I guess, that's going on. So, you know, NVIDIA is in in the happy position of having the kind of GPUs that are going to underlie all of this. So they, you know, they they can be involved in everything. But they're also kind of, it seems to me with their investment strategy, that they're also hedging their bets to make sure that they have some stakes in startups that really might become kind of leaders in in, in gen AI assisted healthcare or, you know, gen AI assisted, you know, I don't know, industrial applications or or, or whatever it is. So I, I, I think that's quite, quite clever. And then what was also interesting, just related to the share price point that, that Cal was making, there's, it, Intel is also investing, but it's just not being, it's, its efforts at kind of investing in AI are not really being recognized or appreciated by the stock markets. And perhaps there's just a perception that what Intel is doing, whatever it's doing with Gen AI startup investing, it, it itself is kind of quite far behind and therefore is just its share price is so overshadowed by what's happened with NVIDIA. It's, it's quite amusing to watch. And that lack of recognition from the stock market for for Intel's AI investments, what, what can we attribute that to, really? Because you know, conventional wisdom may be this is slightly oversimplified, but it would suggest that Intel chips are for your regular laptop, while Nvidia chips are what you would use for you know slightly fancier functions. They've typically been used in, in gaming hardware, for example, and perhaps are more conducive to AI applications, etc. So you know that, that that would explain you know, or, or at least partially explain why Nvidia is doing so well, but then. How come Intel's really not seeing that level of, of of response from the stock market? Well, you know, it's another one of these. Again, you know, it's it's when the technology changes, then the fortunes of the tech, you know, the the, the tech providers change. So we so there's a parallel in this, for example, with with phone chips, right? So you know, ARM was a classic example. So a British chip designer making very low powered chips for use in mobile phones and. You know, at the time when ARM was first starting, I don't think that certainly the general technology press and stock markets didn't really see it coming, just how important it was going to be to be able to have small chips that didn't suck up all the battery life of a, of a phone instantly for doing a simple function, right? So that architecture became incredibly important. And it, it feels to me like often there's certain truths in technology, like it used to be that, you know, well, more powerful chips, the more powerful the chip, the better, right? So it was just really a race of like what sort of speed you could and and, and you you get into this quite static situation where you have companies just competing on these couple of variables. And then something comes along like the smartphone and it just completely changes the game, right? So suddenly a small British chip designer that most most people hadn't heard, but suddenly becomes, you know, one of the most valuable tech companies in the world for, for, for a time, right? So this is exactly the same. It's that, you know, now the assumption is that what we're going to need is these are chips that are able to do these much more powerful calculations. So NVIDIA started off making, you know, the, the, the graphics processing units that was, you know, really kind of initially were seen as only having utility for, for the games market, right? So, you know, and, and, and sort of like that they weren't really going to be relevant for most people who were sort of working on standard things on, on, a, on a laptop. But now if the assumption is that we're all going to be crunching far more data, and it doesn't matter whether we're doing that via the cloud and data centers, because those data centers are going to have to be kind of stocked up with, with the right sort of powerful chips, right? So it's, it's not about that, but it's, it's just that some, you know, now we, 
we have this point of change. And I think it's going to go even further, right? Because, I mean, some of the things that if we're really moving into an era where we can process, if every time we run a query, we ask, uh, I don't know, generative AI to, to, to peruse, you know, all the, the, the knowledge repositories of the world to kind of create us something, right? And, and we're doing these very heavy duty, heavy lift sort of operations for, for kind of, you know, as part of our daily lives. We just, we're talking about uh, so many orders of magnitude of kind of compute power needed that my prediction would be that we're going to go even further and this is going to bring in, I mean, this is why the chip industry is really, really interesting to look at now because what other players might actually come into the fore who, who can either process, you know, even more. That's why people who make data centers are now having to think about completely uh, rethinking the uh, architecture of those. I read one article about uh, recently on the, on the BBC about how data centers are just going to face a power issue. So never mind the chips, how are they going to get enough electricity to be able to kind of run all these functions? And so there's some talk about actually the future data centers having a small modular nuclear reactors integrated into them to be able to provide the power sources, right? So, you know, I, I think if, if we're talking about moving to a, a, a monumentally bigger data era, it's, it's actually a really interesting time to be looking at the technology industry because you could be placing some early bets now. Not necessarily, I'd, I'd say, in generative AI providers per se, but I would be looking a couple of stages further down. The people who are going to be able to provide the architecture, the power, the, the, the chip technology. And so this, this phenomenon that we're seeing right now quite publicly with NVIDIA there could be sort of 10 other NVIDIAs out there right now whose names we don't really know in the public domain so well, but that could come out over the next decade. No, I, I think you're absolutely right that this technology in particular, I think to, to a larger extent than others that we've seen similar hype cycles for in recent years, does really have the potential to, to kind of realign the competitive dynamics of, of, of the markets of, of the companies that are investing in them. Going back to this, to, to this Apple Microsoft's kind of horse race, I, you know, when I saw that, that Microsoft had overtaken Apple now, the only thing I could think of was the, the old I'm a, I'm a PC and I'm a Mac ads where they, they brought out the cool guy as the Mac and then like, you know, the, the slightly less cool, slightly nerdy guy as the PC. And now look where we are. I would say watch this space, but I think everyone will anyway. But but th th thank you both one for for putting together you know the, the, this kind of anal analytic piece about the space, which everyone can check out at globalventuring.com. We'll include the link in the show notes for those interested. And thank you both for giving me uh, your time this morning. Well, thanks, Fernando. It's been fun as always. Always a pleasure. That's it for the show, folks. Remember to share and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. I have been Fernando Moncada. Our sound engineer is Mark Chatterley from Inner Production. Go check out his work today at innerproduction.com. We'll be back again next week, as ever. Until then, have a good one.